and welcome to mini episode 8 of Real Life Ghost Stories. Hiya! Let's get started with two gorgeous listener stories today. Are you ready? Never ready for these things because they scare the bejeebas out of me. Story number one comes from Morgan. My brush with the other side happened first when I was young. I practically lived my entire childhood at my grandparents, partially because they live next door to us and because I was a Nana's girl. My grandparents' house was nearly 200 years old, on farmland on the outskirts of a small town in western Michigan. When I was born, my grandparents sold a few acres to my dad and they built a small house. I would spend my youth wandering the overgrown fields and forests on my family property. I mostly enjoyed this. But there were times when it felt as though there were many pair of eyes on you, even though you stood alone in a vast, open field. One night while staying the night at my nana's, I slept on the couch in their living room. This couch was pushed up against one wall, and on the wall opposite there hung a very large, very old photograph of my nana's grandmother. She was a beautiful lady. My nana looked quite a lot like her. But antique photos are always eerie. I'd fallen asleep with my favourite quilt and slept peacefully. I had a tendency to kick and move around a lot and found myself uncovered and asleep under a cold fan. It wasn't unusual for my nana or my grandfather to come out in the middle of the night to cover me up while on the way to the restroom. So while asleep that night, I wasn't affected by a pair of cold hands pulling my quilt up around my shoulders and took me in or a pair of lips kissing my forehead the next morning at breakfast I asked my nana what time she'd come out to tuck me in I hadn't tucked you in when I came out you were already covered I asked my granddad well I hadn't tucked you in when I came out you were already covered I was confused well somebody tucked me in they tucked me in tight too I said They pulled the blankets up around my neck and shoulders and tucked me in and kissed me on top of my head. The look on my nana's face is what shocked me. Ron, she said sternly to my grandfather, this isn't something to joke about. If you're laughing because you're thinking about that vine. (laughs) Real nice Ron. What, I'm not allowed to sneeze? (laughs) I'm not joking about anything, he said, sipping on his coffee. Nana said no more about it. My cousins and I referred to Nana's grandma as Grandma Great, and her picture had hung on the wall my entire childhood. Grandma Great had passed peacefully in her sleep, in the room my grandparents have shared since they were married. When asking Nana about the incident many years later, she said that she seemed so shocked that day because the way I described how I was tucked in tightly and around my shoulders was the way her grandmother used to tuck her in too when she was little. Because of the eerie farm property my nana and grandfather lived on, I hated farms and farmhouses, particularly when they were in the middle of nowhere. My parents divorced when I was seven, and a few years later my mother moved to a small village about 40 minutes from my grandparents' farm. I hated the new farm. It was literally in the middle of nowhere, 30 minutes from a small village that had a bank and a gas station. Our only neighbours were Amish, and they were not in close proximity to us. The first time I visited the house, I cried. My mom assumed that I was just nervous about transferring schools. She was wrong. 
There were so many things about this house that I hated instantly. The front of the house faced the road and the upstairs window was always eerily dark from the front yard, whether the light was on or not. The basement is what we call a Michigan cellar, meaning it was dug out of the ground to serve as a crawl space, but was later dug deeper for more storage, so everything is just dirt. I should preface at this point and share that before moving into the house, my mother's youngest brother was killed in a car accident during the previous winter. He was more of a brother to me, as he was 14 when I was born, and he lived with my parents until I was two. In this Michigan cellar, we found a date carved into the wall. September the 16th, 1916. My late uncle had been born on September the 16th, 1982. My mom refused to go into the basement. We had a row of dead apple trees in the side yard. They were twisted and looked like witch's fingers. That's what my sister said. And I agreed. We had a terrible fly problem that all the traps in the world couldn't fix. I didn't think this was paranormal at the time, but now I'm not so sure. Because the house was so old, we had to replace the roof. While pulling shingles away, we found an attic. It was really more of a crawl space, maybe like a five foot cube. In it, we found a small stool and a butter knife and a space that led to a small door in my sister's room. No, 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 no. We drywalled over the door. The worst part wasn't the property, but what came with it. While doing renovations, my sister and I shared a room. The doors had been removed to be painted, which didn't bother me. We left the hall light on so we could see when we got up in the night to use the bathroom. As I said, this didn't bother me until a black thing started to stand in the doorway every night. The first night, I thought I was seeing things. But after the second night, I realised it wasn't just me. I just laid there and stared at it. I don't remember being afraid, but I don't remember being calm. Remembering what it looks like now frightens me, but I can't tell you exactly why. I haven't seen the black thing since. We didn't even stay in the house for a year after that, and I'm thankful. I try to stay away from farmhouses now. My life has been paranormally inactive since my childhood. I have retained my love and my interest in the supernatural, but have had no further experiences until last week. My fiancé Jacob and I just purchased our first house and we've been living with his parents until we get moved in. His grandpa died in the house back in 2012, but that never bothered me while we stayed here. I never got to meet him. Two years ago this Christmas, his grandmother passed away from kidney failure. I'd known her for three years. We have our dog Winnie, who is a one-year-old Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. She sleeps in bed with us. She's very protective. If someone comes into the home that she hasn't met, she will stand between them and Jacob and myself barking. She's very territorial, which is why this experience is so strange to me. Jacob works at 4am, so he gets up at 3 and leaves by 3.30. This doesn't wake me or Winnie up anymore. One morning last week, however, I did wake up. It was a pressure that I felt. It was warm and it was nice. It felt like when Jacob would wake me up to say goodbye in the morning. 
Winnie was awake and sitting like a good girl, her tail wagging excitedly. The hug lasted for a brief moment and then dissipated. I rolled over to give Jacob a kiss to find that he wasn't there. Winnie was settling to go back to sleep. I was fully awake now and completely sure of what had just happened. The room was a cool 68 degrees as we kept our air conditioner that low at night, but I had been enveloped in a warm embrace. The odd thing was, if this was Jacob's grandma or grandfather or even my uncle, she'd never met them, but she was still really excited to see them. Maybe she could sense that something was different with them. What in the dickens is going on? I thought you were just going to say what in the dick is going on. (sighs) You know, I am... Okay, I've got a couple of things to say. Yeah. Because you've been talking for ages, so it's my turn now. (laughs) Okay, go for it. (laughs) No, go for it. I'm kidding. (laughs) I feel judged and attacked, but okay. I uh, was always fine with sleeping the door open until we started doing this podcast. And now there have there have been so many stories about like things peeping around doors and shit that if you're not here and I leave the door open so Bimmy can come in and out whenever she wants to, I'm like shitting myself because I think if I open my eyes now, there's going to be somebody standing in the doorway or I'm, or a little head is going to be peeping around the door and then it's going to disappear when I open my eyes. And that is my biggest fear at the moment. So great. This podcast has ruined my life. <laughs> now you may go. <laughs> Oh, okay. So I'm going to start with my uh, non-freaking out point. The bit about at the beginning about Grandma Great or whatever she was called, which I think is a really good name for her, um, potentially tucking him uh, in at night. Morgan Abuera girl. I don't want anybody to be hugging me in the middle of the night. I don't give a shit who it is. I don't need that in my me world. Included. Yeah, I don't want you to be hugging me in the middle of the night. I'd be like, go away. What are you doing? I mean, that's not theoretical. You've done that to me many times. The only person that I would hug in the middle of the night is Bim. And you have done, I know. Yeah. Right. Yes. That first story, well, the first part of the story, where they're talking about being tucked in by a mysterious false person, mm. just makes me think they only knew that something was up because they asked the grandma and the granddad. So I wonder how many times stuff like that has happened to us that we haven't questioned and it hasn't actually been what we thought it was. But that's horrific. I know, but it's just the thought though, isn't it? <gasps> oh my God, what? Because it wouldn't be a story. If she hadn't asked, if if Dan hadn't spoken to their grandma oh. or granddad, it wouldn't have been a story. Do you know it? all the times in the morning where you like say goodbye to me and I only oh, don't sort do of... <laughs> don't do that. I'm joking. Not and I only that, sort yeah. of half wake yeah. up. Oh my God. There's going to come a day where I'm like, oh, that was really nice you saying goodbye to me this morning. You'll be like, I didn't. But I say goodbye to you every morning. Yeah, but it, I'm just saying. Okay. Yeah. So that just made me think that. That was before I started freaking out. And then what in the monkeys is going on with having a hidden attic, which has got a doorway into someone's room and a stall and a butter knife in it? What is going on in the attic? Is what a hidden attic... A hidden attic. Oh, I know. It's I'm that not really, down um, with that. I'm and I not mean, down a with that. A knife is really quite ineffective. Imagine someone is just sitting there buttering bread. <laughs> buttering bread ominously. <laughs> Waiting for the moment to go down to the kitchen and add some fill into a sandwich. And steal some ham. Yeah. One night when Dan and I first met many moons ago, 
We were sitting on... I'm looking at you now because I'm like, oh, story is this going to We're be? sitting on our front doorstep because I was having a cigarette and Dan was keeping me company because he was desperately trying to be my boyfriend at the time. Everyone knows it. It's fine. <laughs> and uh, this guy walked past and he was so shifty. So obviously I was doing what I do best. I'm just staring at him, wondering why he was looking so shifty. And he sort of half ran past us and then dropped something. And I was like, oh my God, I think that was a knife. And Dan was like, I don't think it was a knife. And I was like, no, I think it was a knife. So I went after him and Dan was like, don't pick it, don't pick it up. Whatever it is. It was a knife. Do you Which remember? No, then had your fingerprints on it. Yep. But it, it was, was a butter knife. knife. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, but it was a really ornate butter yeah. knife as well. I kept it. Did you? Yeah, I did. No. Oh. It was in the house. I'm sure many people used it. I washed mm. it, obviously. But... Yeah. Oh, well, at least now we could get done for murder. Or, or unless I could get done for murder if they somehow found the murder weapon in my house. But yeah, that was a little Have we still got note. it? No, we don't oh, still have good. it. Other people who used to live with us might, though. Mm. Mm. Are you ready for story number two? I don't know whether I'm over the hidden attic. I feel like you're underplaying how severe this is. It was a hidden attic. It wasn't very well hidden because they found it. But then if you don't find something, how do you know it's there? <laughs> how very philosophical. But it's a hidden you. attic. I know. With a stool and a knife. Yeah, creepy. I'd be more concerned if it was covered in like pictures of the family or something. Pictures of them all sleeping. Like that would bother me. But a stool and a knife, I'd be like, whatever. It's weird. Story number two comes from Jay. I was born in the 60s and grew up in the era of the fun supernatural tv show such as bewitched i dream of genie the monsters the adams family the ghost and mrs Murrah, my favorite martian i had such a crush on genie when i was a child <laughs> i've never seen it what was genie i can't it was on like daytime obviously i'm not i'm not i wasn't born in the 60s so i didn't see him first time airing but it used to be on like i want to say like early saturday mornings you know the mornings where your parents are just like they let you get up but they don't get up themselves Yes. Yeah, and it was just like... Saturday morning cartoons. TV, serial, get on with it. Yeah. Yeah, it was on that time, and she's just... I just thought she was the most beautiful thing when I was like five or six. Oh my God, you are so adorable. (laughs) So cute. I have no idea what she looks like. I need to Google this. You also fancy Claudia Winkleman though, so I... Whatever. (laughs) uh, But that does make me wonder about... Like, if you're not a British... Or Irish listener, you're not going to know who Claudia Winkleman is. But Dan's secret celebrity crush. It's not so secret anymore, is it? It's Claudia Winkleman. <laughs> so Claudia Winkleman, if you're listening with your shiny hair, hit Dan up. I mean, he wants to get with you. I know you're married and you got kids, so maybe don't. You're also married. Yeah, I'd worry about that too. <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> that was secondary. You were just like, ah. <laughs> there were even a couple of Disney movies featuring ghosts and witches. Blackbeard's ghost from outer space and escaped to which mountain lame i know but we were only allowed to watch disney films and no tv after 6 30 p.m in our house so suffice to say my entire education on the supernatural was that they were just like us even aliens and you just had to connect with them and everything would be fine they were funny and fun and sort of magical but harmless also i wasn't dim enough to think that ghosts were friendly but I thought they wouldn't or couldn't physically hurt you and it was possible to communicate with them. As I grew older, I learned about Ouija boards and mediums and other supernatural conduits. Everything I ever read or heard about ghosts and the supernatural definitely confirmed that it existed and I was eager to experience a ghost. 
I never had doubts that aliens, the supernatural and magic existed, but I just needed to find out how they existed and how to connect with them. I figured aliens were just the right place at the right time. As I grew older and the movies coming out about aliens changed from friendly and cuddly to monstrous, I went right off wanting to meet an alien. Think of E.T. and then aliens. So I thought aliens were more like wrong place at the wrong time. Magic I figured was a mixture of science and belief and special abilities and finding people who could teach you. In other words, it wasn't click the fingers and something magic happens, but more like hard work and study. So I went off magic as something for me. But I still believe in fairies and nature spirits and otherworldly things. There is a very interesting book about some children who were able to grow this most beautiful and lush garden on a sandy, barren, dirt patch of ground next to their caravan park by communicating with nature spirits. I've just done a Google search and can't find this book and it's probably out of print, but it was available back in the day and you can visit this garden and since the children moved away, no one has seen or communicated with the nature spirits since. Anyway, I digress, but it leads me to my last category that I was desperate to connect with. Ghosts. I figured a ghost would be easier to find than aliens, magic or fairies. There are lots of dead people and even documented stories of hauntings and apparitions. So I dabbled about with Ouija boards, haunted houses, meditation and hanging around in graveyards. Absolutely nothing. I figured I just didn't have the gift or sensitivity or just maybe ghosts didn't want to communicate with me. I'd pretty much stopped dabbling in any kind of supernatural and otherworldly activities by the time I moved into the Baker's Dozen. The Baker's Dozen are a group of around 13 huge terraced houses that were originally built in the 1800s as brothels for the sailors who were moored at the nearby naval base. To set the scene, the house I lived in was very run down, dark and gloomy. There was a bedroom, a living room, a bathroom, a dining room and a very small kitchen downstairs a tiny garden and laundry out the back. There was a winding staircase next to the living room and this led to a corridor upstairs that had five bedrooms and a bathroom. I say the house was gloomy, but that was just because there weren't many windows and bare wooden floorboards, peeling paint and just a whole aura of neglect. The rent was dirt cheap, which was why I moved in. And even though there were officially six bedrooms in the house, everyone had friends, lovers and randoms staying over and we were very close to the party district of King's Cross and Darlinghurst in Sydney. So the house was physically dark and run down, but there was always a party atmosphere and music pumping and people coming and going constantly. We were very friendly with the group of people in the house next door, and there was a lot of coming and going between the two houses. Their house was in a better state than ours, and some of the other baker's dozen houses had been converted into offices, a methadone clinic and private residences. Anyway, this is just to say, ghosts were the last thing on my mind when I moved in. I didn't know any of the history of the Baker's Dozen or the house I was in, and it was only later when things started happening that I did a bit of research and found out the sad history of the house that I lived in. I've never been a good sleeper, and as you can imagine, with so many people coming and going at all hours of the night and day, you just had to grab some sleep while you could, and then carry on with the unending party. I didn't mind. I was young, I had a boyfriend at the time who was living in my room and with so many people constantly around me I didn't have much time for solitude or reflection. 
My mind was as far away from the paranormal and ghosts as it could possibly have been. And it took me a long time to even think of the strange things happening as being connected to the supernatural. It was the dreams that started off first. I had the most graphic dreams that I was crawling on my hands and stomach through mud and barbed wire. It was a battle scene, but in a swamp. There was a quicksand pit and I was trying to crawl past and then hands and dismembered limbs, heads, torsos, blood and skulls were bubbling out of this swamp and hands were trying to grab me. I can still remember this dream in detail all these years later. Now, as I mentioned earlier, my upbringing was Disney and early evening TV shows, so I still, even now, don't go in for war, horror or action movies. I was puzzled as to where this dream was coming from, certainly not from movies I was watching or books I was reading. This was the most graphic, horrific and immersive dream I'd ever had in my life. There was a feeling of sheer, absolute terror as well. I knew if one of those hands grabbed me and pulled me into the swamp, I would be lost forever. I had this dream about once a week, and I always woke up during the night with a start because I was suffocating, and my bed sheets would be twisted around me and I would be covered in sweat. The feeling of terror would gradually subside, and after about an hour, I would be able to finally fall back into an exhausted, dreamless slumber. I used to dread this dream, and it didn't seem to be anything that would set it off. I noticed that I wasn't eating spicy food or watching horror films or reading books that had any sort of connection to this horrible dream. One evening I was sitting in the dining room with another girl, Emma, who lived in the house. Even with such a large number of people coming and going, there was a core group of us who paid the rent and claimed the bedrooms. Emma's bedroom was next to mine upstairs. Hers was the front of the house and mine was next to the stairs. I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but I mentioned that I was getting sick of this dream. She looked at me and asked very quietly, What dream? I said dismissively, Oh, just some dream about war. She said, Are you crawling in mud? And I said, Yes. I described the dream in detail and she said, I have exactly the same dream. Oh, no way. I said, last time I had it was Tuesday night. It was the same night as her. I thought it was a bit more than a coincidence, but I still wasn't thinking ghosts. However, it was as if talking about it unleashed the spirit as things really started picking up in the house after that. Up to that point, nothing of note was happening in the house. And I was just having a spooky dream. Now, other things started to happen. And I recall it all started after our little talk. First off, it was the little things. Misplaced keys that reappeared where they hadn't been left, but weren't there five minutes ago. Glasses falling off the table and smashing, but they were nowhere near the edge of the table. The TV turning itself on and off. Same for the hot plates on the stove. I still wasn't thinking ghosts. As with so many people coming and going, there was a logical explanation for everything that happened. And I just thought people were playing stupid jokes. Even the dream, I put down to something I was doing. And even though Emma was having the same dream on the same night, I didn't think ghosts. I thought someone must have said something to us. 
or we'd seen something that unknowingly triggered the dream for us. One night, the five core people who lived in the house, Emma, Andrew, Susan, Joe and myself, were all in the living room at the same time and some other people who were friends of ours. The sixth bedroom was rented out to a person none of us ever saw. He lived out of town and would come in late at night and leave early if he was ever around. He paid the rent and that was all we cared about. I think his name was Scott, but he has nothing to do with the story. Unless you count me running into him in a bar years later and the first thing he said to me was, didn't you live in that haunted house with me? I'd barely spoken five sentences to this guy in my life and I certainly never talked about the house being haunted with him. It was a rare occasion the five of us were all in the same place at the same time for more than five minutes, so I thought it was a good time to talk about housekeeping issues. I said that we needed to put some hooks up next to the door to put our keys on, as when I leave them on the table next to the telephone downstairs, they always go missing. This was in the days before mobile phones, and there was one telephone downstairs in the hallway. Everyone denied touching the keys. So I said, well, somebody's doing it. As soon as I said that, a shadow moved past the doorway. I said, did did you see that? Joe and Emma said yes, and Susan and Andrew said no. I said, I think this house might be haunted. Once again, when I said that, the temperature in the room seemed to drop by five degrees. I said, can you feel that? Emma and Joe said yes. Andrew and Susan, no. Then I heard a noise that sounded like a tennis ball had been dropped on the top step and was falling down the stairs, slowly, one at a time. I walked out of the living room and looked on the steps. There was nothing. Then I heard it again, start from the top step and stood there waiting for the ball to come down the stairs. But this time, the sound stopped about midway. I went back into the living room and said, don't tell me you didn't hear that. Again, Emma and Joe, yes. Andrew and Susan, no. I have to add that my boyfriend was firmly in the no camp, but he wasn't there that night. I said, sometimes when I answered the phone in the downstairs hallway, there was no one there. Just static. Oh, no. And a sort of whispering. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Susan and Andrew said it never happened to them. Joe and Emma said the same thing happened to them a few times. Then Joe said, one night he was in his bed asleep at around 3am and woke up to hear me calling his name. He got out of the bed to see what I wanted. But as soon as he put his hand on the doorknob to open the door, he got a cold chill. And he suddenly knew it wasn't me calling his name. Oh, mate. He didn't even open the door. He got back into his bed, but he couldn't sleep again for the rest of the night. One night, a few weeks later, I was getting ready to go out and playing the Blondie song Atomic in my bedroom. Jane. I went to the bathroom, downstairs to go to the toilet, on my way out, and on the mirror written in lipstick was, Your hair looks beautiful. I laughed because it's a line out of the song I'd just been listening to. I went into the living room and said, Who wrote that on the mirror? I thought maybe it was like a subtle dig that I was playing the music too loud or my music taste was rubbish or singing along wasn't appreciated. Who wrote what? Andrew asked. I took Andrew into the bathroom to show him. 
And of course, there was nothing written on the mirror. Oh, get out. The mirror was still pretty dirty, so it wasn't like something had been quickly wiped off. Otherwise, there would have been a circle, clean, in the middle of the mirror. Andrew, ever the sceptic, said I must have seen the reflection of something in the mirror. I got even more howled down when I said, maybe it wasn't lipstick, maybe it could have been written in blood. After that, I didn't like going to the downstairs bathroom unless I could possibly avoid it. There was a very strong smell in the kitchen at times, which I thought was the ghost and others said drains backing up. One night I was about to cook dinner and bent down and got a pan out of the cupboard. And when I stood up, the hot plate on the stove was red hot full on. There was absolutely no way it was on before and certainly couldn't get to red hot in the few seconds I put my head down in the cupboard fetching the frying pan. Also, there was a sort of a whispering that everyone in the house could hear. But the non-believers said it was air coming through the vents or cats outside or the people next door. It was like a low muttering, so you could never actually make out words, just a general sort of low noise that you could only hear when everything was really quiet, which didn't happen that often in the house. While all this heightened activity was happening in the house, I started having another reoccurring dream. Like the swamp dream, it started off weekly and then ended up being nightly. I couldn't check if Emma was having the same dream, as she'd since moved out of the house and the new occupant in the room, Tom, was firmly in the no camp. The dream was always the same. At the same time, every morning, same dream. I would see a woman, dressed in a long black dress, with her hair in a bun, walking slowly up the stairs. I could only see her from the top of her head as I was looking down the stairs from the top and she was coming slowly up the stairs. When she got to the middle of the stairs, I would suddenly be lying on my back in the bed and I would be able to hear her coming along the corridor. In my dream, the door to the room was always open. Then she'd walk into my room and I'd be lying facing up on my bed with my eyes closed. She'd bend over me and put her face right towards my face. But before I could see what she looked like, I'd wake up in terror and sit bolt upright in my bed. Then I would feel an icy finger trace itself from the bottom of my spine to the top. And it physically hurt. And my back would arch like a cat and ache. Regardless of the season, my room was always icy. And I could see my breath in the air in front of me for a second. Then it would be like a shadow lifted and the temperature would return to normal and the room seemed a tiny little bit less dark. And my door would always be open even though I'd shut it every night before I went to bed. I asked my boyfriend if he'd left the door open, which he'd always deny. But it happened even when I slept alone and I made a point to shut my door every night before I went to bed. It was always 3.15am exactly when I woke up. Then I thought about it. And that was the time I'd always wake up from the swamp dream as well. It wasn't possible to lock the bedroom door, as no one had keys for anything except the front door. So later, I put a tiny latch on my door, but I would still wake up from this dream and the door would still be open. I also would always wake up on my back from this dream, and I have never slept on my back before moving in or since moving out of that house. I'm such a poor sleeper that every time I move during the night I wake up, except when I was living in that house. There, it was like having sleep paralysis. I couldn't move at all, and whenever I woke up during the night, I would feel terror, 
I'd never felt rested and some nights I would dread falling asleep. The little bit of research I did about the Baker's Dozen led me to find out about their history. They started out as glamorous, discreet brothels and apparently the sailors would get quite rowdy and a rumour was that a fight had broken out in one of the brothels and a sailor was killed and buried in one of the back gardens. That seemed unlikely to me, but there would have been fights and drunken sailor carry on and maybe someone died, but I don't think you could bury a sailor and no one would notice. After many years, the brothels had competition from strip clubs and bars up the road in King's Cross and fell into disrepair. The one I lived in became a halfway house and a drug addict hung himself in the kitchen. I don't know how, but I knew that my nightly visitor was the brothel madam and she was just looking to see who was in the house. Despite the icy finger and the chill, I also knew she didn't mean any harm and that she was just watching her house. I even remember waking up once, very cranky, and said out loud, Go and bother Andrew, he doesn't even believe in you. Eventually, about six months after the dream started, I moved out, and thankfully my ghostly visitor didn't follow me. In total, I lived in the house for about 18 months, but the first six months was a blur, and I don't recall anything that I noticed. And it was only after my conversation in the kitchen with Emma that suddenly the house seemed very haunted, and I really noticed the weird things happening. I've never had any type of intense experience like that ever again and it certainly cured my desire for a ghostly encounter. However, I do believe it's left a kind of residual effect. Once I slept over my friend's dad's house as it was a midpoint to the concert we were attending the next day. We got there quite late and said hello and went straight to bed. I had a very strange dream about a woman walking around the house. The next morning at breakfast I said... Is this house haunted? My friend said, don't be ridiculous. But her dad said yes. She was very surprised and said, I grew up here and I've never seen any ghosts. Her dad said, it's the ghost of a woman who previously lived here. Once again, it didn't feel like a malevolent presence. Just like she was wandering around looking to see who was in the house. So that's my ghost story. It's a bit long, but everything happened. Even though it was over 20 years ago, I remember clearly everything happening as I've written it to you. Maybe there were other things that happened to other people in the house that they told me at the time and I've forgotten. Maybe there were small things that happened to them that they've forgotten. But I will never forget those dreams and even now, remembering both of them, I feel a cold chill. I'm not able for that story. That's horrific, isn't it? I wouldn't have lost it. Five minutes in yeah. the house. I, it does make me wonder, though. It's that question of... Um, being open to it. A, being open to it, but B... Talking to it into existence. How many things happen that you just don't notice? Or, or you that don't you don't, you don't think, oh, that's weird. Because you're just bopping around your daily life. And you don't really... Because we don't, we don't really, as humans, especially in our day and age, we never really fully focus on anything. I mean, I fucking don't. But you're always like, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to go here. I've got to go there. I've got to meet somebody for brunch. And I've got to check my phone. And I've got to check Twitter and blah, 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 blah. So you're never really in the moment. Do you know? Yeah. So I just wonder how how many things we miss. I mean, I'm, I was digging the beginning of that when Jay was like, aliens decided not to. Yeah. Just shove that one to the side. Magic, too much like hard work. Fuck that. Easiest option. Ghosts. Ghosts. 
Yeah, that's how we came up with the topic of the podcast for a minute. Easiest option, <laughs> ghosts. I would like to put a message out there to okay. all friendly ghosts that I may encounter in the future. Yes. If you are just wandering around your building that you used to live in to check who is in there and you happen to spend a bit of time watching me, I do not need an icy finger down my back to let me know that you're there. <laughs> Thanks. Do you know who I fancied? <laughs> Massive segue in a different direction, but yeah, go Casper. for it. Casper. No, speaking <laughs> of friendly ghosts. I did. I cannot have been the only one. When I was a kid... I went to see Casper in the cinema with my cousin and I was like, oh my God, I was just so infatuated by the film. I thought it was amazing. But do you remember when Casper turned into a little boy and he kisses the girl? Does he have long black hair? No. Does he? No. Oh, okay. Do you want to explain that or is that just going to be... No, because I've made reference to this in in previous podcasts, I'm sure I have. What about me fancying people with long black hair? Yeah, it's pretty much if you just, if you want ever to fancy, you just grow your hair out, dye it black, sorted. (laughs) Become an emo in the early 2000s. <laughs> or Roman Reigns. <laughs> oh. that, story, that story just freaked me out on so many so many little points. That tennis ball I, sound coming down. I nope. can't be dealing with people having the same dreams. That makes me want to die. Yep. Don't like that. That gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, particularly when they're not related as well. What are not related? The people? Yeah. Do you think people who are related to have the same dreams? Might do. Well, me and my sister have the same dream. Okay. I forgot about that. <laughs> there you go then. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's, oh, there's so many little random bits about that. The writing on the mirror, little tennis ball sound. Dunk, 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 dunk. <laughs> I'm not having that. Didn't like that story, Jay. I mean, I liked it because it's a well-told story, but I've got the hijabas now and I just want to go and cry in a corner. And on that note... And put Atomic by Blondie on. (laughs) We shall see you next week. Bye.